Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia. And our goal of our podcast is to empower you with guests and topics that will make you take your business to the next level. And today I am so excited to have Brian Baird on my my interview today, my podcast today. And uh, he and I both understand the importance of leadership with your heart. And so today's theme is really, as you see on the screen, doing business at the speed of heart. Brian, Thank you so much for being a guest. I cannot wait to uh, learn a little bit more about you and have our guests learn about you. So why don't you take some time to give them some background about who is Brian Baird and what does he bring to his audience? Well, let's start with the fact that he's not a perfectionist, but he is a curator of experience. <laughs> and I have a green halo here because something's <laughs> not quite right with my with the lighting or something here. So let's just let everybody know I don't have a the halo's not real. It's not <laughs> Angel have, Brian. Angel Brian. <laughs> I do have headphones on and the green is just my green screen kind of doing some weird thing here. So um um I just talk about myself, but no, I just, let's have some background as to how did you get started? You have trademarked there two things, the effective way and the doing business at the speed of heart for the effective way. Where did that come from? And, um, and tell us a little bit about how people can do things the effective way, Mr. Perfectionist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, um, my journey to the effective way mm-hmm. was several decades of entrepreneurial energy. Um, I've started, operated, uh, sold and lost businesses along the way, many, many businesses. Yeah. Um, and um, some of the reasons for moving a business out of my, just a side note, some of the reasons for letting a business go was boredom like kind of did what i needed to do and then somebody else should take care of that um sometimes i would hire somebody to run the business and i would move on to something else but ultimately that person would like their passion was to run the business and mine was to create so part of the challenge with entrepreneurs is how to maintain that creation birthing energy that uh, is so much a part of why they do those things that, that you know, and, um, but, and putting that in perspective is, is that over the years of the decades of doing what I've been doing, um, I found um, 
a huge passion for helping other people birth their babies of business and, uh, and so to speak, and even helping them become better versions of themselves in the process. Because having gone through much of that my own self is having to like learn sometimes without consultation of others, learn, which may be the most challenging way to learn, learn something yeah. about yourself on your own and then have that become such a profound part of your journey in guiding others and theirs that you can actually give them more efficiencies <laughs> in the process because you've been there and done that and they can learn from you. Yeah. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Oh. So, um, so the effective way is a, um, is just kind of a summation of the idea that business as usual and it's, I, and my observation, the business as usual has been dying for over a, uh, for a long time. But I, I was um, very heavily involved in uh, as a director of sales for a company where I had a lot of uh, room to use my entrepreneurial um, energies. And things started to change in that company uh, in ways that I egregiously disagree with. And um, I, I was there 10 years working for a company, which was kind of outside the norm for me. I've always had that do it on my own type of thing. Right. It was a great experience in the end because I learned a great deal about what makes people um, think business works. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, the, the thing that I disagreed with was as a director of sales, I'm being told to teach my people make 500 phone calls a month. Mm. set a hundred appointments, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. And um, when you take your, in, the institution of your business and turn it into metrics, mm -hmm. everybody becomes a robot. And, I, and that's okay. They can find ways to be creative inside of this process, but it no longer becomes about people. It becomes about the business. It mm -hmm. becomes about the money. Mm -hmm. um, and, I was already in the process of learning a great deal about my approach to sales. Uh, and I had even formulated this philosophy uh, during the, uh, my tenure, that, was, that 10 years, was that if you did not conduct your sales with an energy or a posture of love and concern and caring and kindness about the person you're selling to, you neither deserve the sale and, um, nor the credit or the income that goes with that. Um, it really had a lot to do with the fact that it, it's no longer an act of service, mm -hmm. at, which was a posture I was right. learning on my own in many ways, but the, it became an act of self-service yeah. to, uh, to show up for yourself and make sure you're doing you know, proverbial ring the bell in sales is all about you getting paid and all about you getting the sale and all about you getting the recognition. And in the end, it should be what's important to the person you're selling to or the, or the organization you're selling to. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time um, mulling that over um, to the point where I was no longer happy being at the company because they were adding this set of metric driven behavior, mm -hmm. which made it all about the money. There was no other way to look at it. And I understood at a logical level what those pressures were because the company had been on a very, very slow growth path and there were people who wanted faster return on investment mm -hmm. those, those people had put many um, either investment into the company or had been or stockholders <coughs> so um 
what you know maybe it's worth mentioning is that capitalism as it evolved through the 1700s was really about serving people it mm. may have been said in different ways but it was really about how can we in the process how can we work with people so that we create um the the money flow that we want but at the same time we kept them recognize that it's about people to do that mm -hmm. and um and uh, there were times uh, in recent periods where um, there were economists and other people who showed up and said no no it's all it's just a machine just treat it like a machine and do this and now we have companies who cannot make any long-term decisions mm -hmm. because shareholders want immediate value mm -hmm. and um and people also are like and so they get and they get rewarded accordingly give me immediate value and you get a huge parachute when you're ready to leave <laughs> you know, yeah. golden parachute yeah so um so this kind of short-term thinking makes it all about the money it doesn't take into consideration anybody that's a human being in the process except the people who are finessing that shareholder value they get completely different level of, of support and respect from the, the financial community but you know you have a you have a bad month and you go you know what we'll do is we'll close the gap on the bad month on our numbers by laying off fifty thousand people or whatever the case may be mm. and this kind of thinking uh just not only is it does it grate on my nerves it's just plainly wrong mm -hmm. and you'll you'll look at companies in fact patagonia is a recent recently announced that they're taking their entire net worth the, including the net worth of the founder and they're going to apply it towards social causes um which are in the billions yeah and because they developed a company with social responsibility yeah. and perspective and and they, and they built a company based on a a public benefits corporation or a B Corp type status uh, so that they can't have shareholder value drive um, the uh, short term thinking that was that they would need for their return on investment. So you could buy Patagonia stock, but you can't dominate thoughts on how that company um. operates. So the effective way is something that just the phrase just came to me, gosh, back in 2010 as a way of looking at business not as business as usual, but in a win-win-win, zero-sum game not included, zero-sum game goes away, that everybody can win by virtue of bringing in the human energy and the human value to the discussion where everybody is valuable, including vendors and customers and things like that. So everybody gets something from an whatever it is, a transaction or whatever the case may be. And it turns out businesses using Patagonia as an example that do business this way actually do better than businesses that think yeah. short-term, zero-sum game, winner-take-all. Is oh that a short answer? Is that a short answer? <laughs> That's, that was a <laughs> we went across the ocean and back. That's excellent. And I do know that company. I know somebody that works for them for many years and i've been always impressed with what they that what they're doing yep if you ever want to look at some really wacky cool quarterly financials look at patagonia <laughs> they have a conventional filing because that's the way they have to file for with the uh <coughs> with the sec and so on but the um but they're they have a fun of a, a fun one so that you as an average consumer can just open up the report and see how the company is working and what they're doing with their money and how their profitability is going. And, and they just keep on climbing and climbing and climbing because <laughs> they've been 
they've developed to this posture that human beings at every level are important to how that organization mm. works. And they also, the vision of the company was being shared properly with mm -hmm. the entire team instead of just executing on metrics and having some sort of vision about how the company is supposed to be run. So it's very, yeah. very beautiful way to, to do things. And I would say anybody who thinks money first is mm -hmm. now shortchanging themselves. Right. So I, I have so many questions, but one of, the, one of the one of the I can keep the answers short. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that you said that really sparked my my thought process is business not uh, as usual is dying. So if business as usual is dying, what advice do you give to the entrepreneur, the startup, small business owner that wants to get it right? Well, first thing is take a look around and and believe business as usual is dying. Don't fall mm -hmm. into the trap that when you get scared, uh, you're gonna do you're gonna go do what everybody else has done because right now we're in the middle of um, um, the great resignation is a term that's been out there and quiet quitting is another term that's out yeah, there. There's a, yeah. whole, a whole host of these things are going on and what it really is is there is a rebellion in what would be popularly the labor force. Mm -hmm. But that labor force is not just blue collar or, you know, or worker bee. There are all kinds of people who during, because of COVID, they had a chance to kick back and go, <coughs> excuse me, what's important to me? Yeah. What, what's important in how I can move through life and feel better about my journey rather than just working for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so the, this, is um, an indication of that reality. So just believe it, it's there. Anybody who works against this is working against their own interest. Short-term thinking is, um, is um, in essence, a, uh, a way to break things in, up in, in a non-positive way, to break things so they don't work for you. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur or you're a, um, a business owner who's seeing some of these challenges and wants to turn things around yeah. um, or you're a solopreneur somebody who works with themselves for themselves by themselves mm -hmm. uh, just recognize that if you are turning into a short-term thinker maybe you're acting like a hunter where you're dependent on the next deal in order for you to even put food on the table and you're not approaching that with the intention of service but of others but intention of making sure you're serving yourself people are smelling this they're yeah. feeling this energy they don't want mm -hmm. to work for it. They don't want to be sold by it. They don't mm -hmm. want to be treated under it. And this is the, re the reason for doing it. So how do they go about establishing that process in the beginning for themselves has everything to do with first setting intention. Mm -hmm. My business I'm establishing or whatever I'm creating here, the prime mission of that, uh, that company is to serve. Mm -hmm. And then money as a healthy byproduct yeah. should be an acceptable uh, um, add on or vector to attach to the mission, but it should not be money first thinking anymore. It does not work. Yeah. So the other thing that you talked about, which I completely agree with, I saw this in, you know, the companies that I've worked for is the people forget that your greatest asset 
to your organization, whether it's one person or thousands of people or the people. So how else can we get better at setting up success and putting our people first? Well, it depends on the size of the company. Let's say it's a big company. So I have little prospect for this happening, but let's just say we're <laughs> a, big, a, a big wireless phone company. Mm-hmm. Instead of treating everything at uh, as a disposable element in your business, uh, you, you work on building out a uh, strategy in your organization that has shareholder buy-in, which may require finding a way to change the uh, the corporate structure a little bit to make this happen get out of the short the the short-term thinking process mm-hmm. because if your way to make it so you're preserving shareholder value is to terminate 50,000 people then that's there's no there's no um, respect for yeah. the human condition right. no respect right. for human beings and that should be a, and that's a big indication as to why people mm-hmm. don't want to do that anymore those companies are going to have more and more trouble as i'm going to call it the the real estate of employment more and more people are going to find things where they can find where they can feel like they're making a difference and they're doing things it's going to be very much more challenging for those companies to get resources that are going to support their initiatives yeah so um i think i may have lost sight of the question but the um, how do we ensure that we are having people be our greatest asset that we are building our business that our success is is really tailored to that value each other mm-hmm. set the intention uh, <clears throat> um, look if the company has absolutely no money you can't pay anybody right I, I get that so there may be a stark reality but the and i should say is that you'll find um that probably won't happen in a win-win-win scenario because i i remember this moment when i had one of the, the company i just mentioned before where i mm-hmm. had been for that 10 year stint um we were doing um i was given the responsibility to make a phone call and and lay three people in my team off so call. so i said i sent a message to uh the president of the company who's also the ceo and i said why don't we work on preserving everybody and we take a pay cut? It was not going to be a convenient thing, but I think energetically it would be better for the company. And so indeed, that's what we ended up doing is oh, we ended up, wow. we ended up taking 10% off of the pay only if so, like only from people who were um, uh, more in the executive range, because they weren't going to penalize somebody who might be working for $50,000 a year to, to get 45 right, now. Right. Especially a lot of employees were California based and even 50 doesn't go that far. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's what we did. And, you know, and in the end, the company figured out that one of the things they could have done was to, um, to say, since we took that pay away, um, your reward for that sacrifice is we'll give you stock options that you can yeah. use to fill in later on for the future. So there are win, win, win scenarios that you mm-hmm. can put together for people. If you think outside of the box of the conventional, we need to trim costs because otherwise we're not going to meet meet, meet our projections. Right. Um, so yeah, trim your costs this way, and it yeah. worked. It really yeah. did work. Be so so it's a scenario. It um, 
I don't know how, I, I, for all I know, people talked badly about me behind the scenes, like, we should have just let those people go. Why am I taking a 10%? But I, you know, it actually cost me quite, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars to do that. And it was worth it to me to be able to go to sleep at night because I didn't make the phone call and lay those three people to, especially since one of them said, I think they're going to lay me off because I can feel we're not, we're not having the quarter we're supposed to have. And I said, mm-hmm. I personally won't lay you off because you're a valuable team member. So I had a lot of interest in preserving that relationship yeah. the way it was. So. So along those lines, we talked about, um, being focused more on the KPIs, the metrics, and and that's a, a great way to forget about the people that. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I found always to help me as I was supporting a group or a team or was whenever I had managers and directors tell me what the mission was, what the value was of what I was doing and how it played into the results. There's so many people that are out there that do their job and they have no idea how it impacts the bottom line or the the success of a company. Mm -hmm. How can we avoid that going forward? Well, there's a popularly misused phrase called employee engagement. I say misused because very often, if not most always, in, is that it really becomes about what do we need to do to get employees or team members to comply with our vision? Yeah. <clears throat> and um, and they do studies and some bring in consultants and you know you know, <clears throat> um, the um, the focus should be on sharing the vision, getting buy-in on that vision, mm-hmm. and a healthy buy-in. And the only way to do that is to actually get your vision set in such a clear way that everybody does understand what their role is in yeah. making that vision happen. The thing is, is that the vision has to be human-oriented because mm-hmm. if it's all about increasing the company's profits, yeah. employees aren't going to buy in. They've, they've stopped working on baking the company's books and then they start thinking about what can we do to make a world a better place and it's becoming more and more prominent in behavior now there are fear-based mentalities and thinking that takes place even in the workforce and there are people who will do you know they will stab you in the back so to speak to Mm -hmm. preserve their job and their paycheck even though they hate their job or (laughs) but the because they need to put foot on the table the way they think their responsibilities mm-hmm. are measured. Um, and ultimately, it's it doesn't have to be, none of that has to be the case. We, the company, and, and you ask the question in more details, you know, give it a little more detail now, is that going back to what the intention is, is everybody has, has value. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have value, they shouldn't have been brought into the organization to begin with. So if you took the time to bring somebody in, they have value. And yeah. by the way, uh, the Society of Human Resource Management, SHRM, as it's popularly called, has done tremendous number of studies about what it takes to replace somebody, oh, yeah. oh, company. Yeah. Um, someplace between three to five times the cost of that mm-hmm. employee with benefits included, you know, the burden cost of that employee um, to replace them. And if you send 50,000 people off the books today, I'm just using a big company perspective, but if you lay anybody off of the 
for for cost containment reasons today, it'll cost you more later. Yeah. So there has to be a different kind of thinking about what are we doing to make sure that what how we're serving here is making it so that everybody has a winning proposition. You have to share the vision of what winning looks like. In fact, I even carry, I'd like to be very careful with the word winning because it makes it sound like that's what it's all about. What it's really about is, is that thriving. And I'd like to even use that language is that a thriving business only exists when the business stops trying to survive. Mm -hmm. it, I should say it can only exist yeah. when a business stops trying to survive. There's no way to be in survival mode and thriving mode at the same time. It's just not possible. Yeah. So a company that lays people off or a company that has to play uh, rig the game to make business happen um, or a company that expects employees to just be cogs in a machine yeah. or a company where leadership is uncertain about their footing. Um, all of those things, those become survival mode aspects of how a company works. And once you're in survival, it's no longer about thriving and thriving is where money is. So for those people who won't even include money in the dialogue, build this heart-centered operation, get everybody involved in that heart-centered posture, get everybody buying into it and anybody who comes on needs to be there. Is it possible that somebody can't become heart-centered? Sure. Give them a chance though, train them. You know, if you're gonna make this kind of conversion, train them, give everybody an opportunity to understand what this is. And if even people who in the beginning can't seem to fit in, many of them will come around when they see everybody else yeah. coming around. Right. Because very often it's their fear that makes them show up the way they do, and they just need to be shown how they can be taking fear off the table. So going, it's all about the intention where everybody is valued and the message for what that value looks like has to be clearly communicated. So that makes me think about um, the piece of that to me that's important is the recognition that you give to those people for their efforts, those employees. Um, even, you know, if you only have two people, you and your partner, how are, how are you recognizing your wins, but also just the effort and the time that you took to, um, to make that business a success? Yeah, so, I, so, it's more of a comment than a question, right? So. Right. Yeah, I mean, but, but what in this, in this world today, I think everybody is struggling with the fact that you know with remote workers how do we how do we recognize how do we motivate those workers and and i i guess maybe that's where leading with your heart is is going to be helpful to guide you but. yeah and it's also about what they're being recognized for right so mm -hmm. um There's some challenges in the idea of, re of recognizing yeah. people for doing things that were baked into their job description. Mm -hmm. But putting that aside is, is um, the um, recognition, as long as somebody doesn't have other high friction points. If I'm not getting paid that well, recognition with money can be very powerful because it mm -hmm. can change my life. Right. But let's just say I'm at a point where I'm more comfortable as a somebody in a company's uh, corporate profile um, my money is getting me by or getting me what i need i can go home and have a happy phone have home life and so on so then that's when recognition outside of money becomes even much more prevalent 
I would argue both. Like if you really want to recognize somebody, um, they're, they're not necessarily motivated by money, but they're grateful for the recognition that money, that money can be part of, you know, so you can give them a plaque, but money is a, a pretty good way of showing that they're getting a piece of what everybody is doing in terms of service, a thriving company that's serving the, uh, the human race. And, so. and, and I think true that the, <clears throat> the whole building of a relationship is important because then that helps you understand that person to know individually what motivates them, what recognition would be important or meaningful to them. And it can't, you know, managers and, and directors and employers today can't be, well, I hired this person and, you know, at their 10 year anniversary, I don't know anything more than the day I hired them. I mean, there's, there's gotta be some time invested to get to know your people, I would think. Yeah. And also team members learning about team members and team mm -hmm. members even being involved in the hiring process. Um, there's a really good example of um, heart set, what I call instead of a heart centered energy. It turns out in Spain, there's a company called Mondragon. And um, it's actually a democratic operated company. Mm -hmm. The people who are the essence of the company, team members, mm -hmm. hire the supervisors. Ah, nice. So what does that really look like? You know, what does that really sound like? And can that kind of company be profitable? Well, it's actually an extremely large conglomerate. It's extremely successful. And everybody who works for that company just loves, well, yeah. since, I don't know, there could be exceptions. But let's just say everybody, in quotes, for that company loves being there because they get to be part mm -hmm. of the process. They get yeah. to be involved in the shaping of the company from the very moment they show up at, or even get up in the morning perhaps mm -hmm. um, and they are just part of something that's earth-shakingly different and exciting and valuable for everybody mm -hmm. involved and um and i can you imagine if the world operated this way where <laughs> yeah. yeah we got to well supposedly we do elect the people who are supposed to serve us but um but imagine if that was really the truth i know it wasn't it wasn't corporate and metrics driven for sure the the whole point of us us getting to know our people is that you know whenever you understand your your folks you know more about um you don't feel terrible about offering asking them to do more because they understand what more will do for the vision the goal and ultimately for them because if the company grows, then then they can grow with the company. Right. But I, you know, if you if you're just as you say, this is just about numbers. Then you know that to me that company is always going to be in in struggle and always going to be looking for new people to fill a slot. And I think also if I'm an employee of a company where um, you had mentioned it, like just say my role may be more on the support side or administrative mm -hmm. side of things. I may not understand my relationship to those numbers. So if the company's numbers driven, there's not a whole lot you can do mm -hmm. to educate me in terms of what I'm doing is making a difference. Um, and uh, most people are not purely money driven. There, there are going to be exceptions some mm -hmm. in society, but most people are not purely money driven. So, um, so that kind of company 
uh, already has a, a health problem mm -hmm. and, and people will smell it. The, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, I maybe have no choice because it's the only job I got or whatever the case may be, but their energy will change too. They'll feel, and it'll feel imprisoned and resentful and, you know, and that just shakes up everything in the energy yeah. of the company. Mm -hmm. So if you want thriving, you have to get everybody, you, you, a company has no choice, but to include the value of all people in the process in a compassionate, considerate, meaningful way, as opposed to, well, I want to see them as something other than a human being, but they're going to cost me $150,000 to be on the books. I have to add that to the calculations of how things are going to work out. Um, and then, um, you know, already I just switch things around. It's good to know that somebody has a, I won't use the word cost, but has a, um, an impact mm -hmm. on the bottom line of the company. And I would, I would also argue that, that the reason why they're there is because there's a greater benefit to humanity on the other side of that discussion. So if you were looking to hire a team, mm -hmm. what qualities would you be looking for and how much would you look at that resume? <clears throat> well, the resume just determines what kind of training you need to provide, <clears throat> in my opinion, because right. anybody can grow into any position. Right. So you can, um, uh, with some limitations, maybe if you need somebody with physics background and they're just a high school graduate, we got a little bit of an education challenge, but, <clears throat> but, um, but ultimately, um, ultimately it's going to boil down to is how do they engage as a person mm -hmm. with other people? Um, and to give you an example of something that it kind of grates on my nerves when I hear the story, but it had an interesting thought, which was um, when somebody went to work for this company, they were offered a cup of coffee and it could have been the best meeting ever. But if they did not offer to take that coffee cup back to the kitchen before they left the interview, they were never going to be considered for anything in that company again. <laughs> because they were looking for somebody who had enough awareness of their impact around them that they were, <clears throat> they were going to just say if that person um, was thoughtless enough to just leave the coffee cup on the yeah. interviewer's desk then um then they may be that might be the way they treat a lot of other people but it's unfortunate is i don't think it takes consideration that some people when they're very nervous might not they be fully themselves yeah true. so true. <laughs> so um and i thought about the answer to that question i tend uh in my sort of uh leaning in on how i can be of help to the people who are around me is to say what should i do with the cup you know but is it possible that if i was doing an interview for a company and it was a lot writing on it. And I was very excited about this and things were going great. And I was even getting more excited. And I was just, I got to tell my wife or whatever the stories yeah, I right. got with me and I'll just leave it there and go. And now all of a sudden, not even everything realize there yeah. was a fly in the ointment in the process. So, so the reason why I bring that up though, is, is that it, it kind of speaks to the ideas is how do we measure mm -hmm. um, quality human interaction? It's really non-trivial. Yet that's what we're really looking for, is mm -hmm. how do people um, show up mm -hmm. um, with the ability to create meaningful impact that benefits everybody, and then the impact that others are doing benefit them. 
how do we measure that? And, and I'm not sure it's completely measurable, yet it comes out in the conversations. Mm -hmm. So um, um, using what I'm going to call the intention. So we, we value everybody. We, um, we have an impact by virtue of how we show up compassionately and considerately and kindly. Mm -hmm. And then we also have to have a certain amount of, I won't use the word work ethic, but we have a certain amount of commitment that we are going to be part of this process and that it's not just a paycheck. Yeah. So not the same thing is I don't want somebody who's coming just for a paycheck any more than they want to come to only get a paycheck. <laughs> you know, when, when I used to interview, I love to talk to them about what volunteering they did mm -hmm. just for that reason, because I know from, you know, my own experience, you know, I, that. I found that I would, I volunteered quite a lot and, and I would do a lot of things. I learned a lot from the volunteering, but I never expected a paycheck because I was volunteering. And I thought, well, if you are willing to do hard work for no money, <laughs> just think how much you'll do for me for money. <laughs> and that's, and I love to hear their feelings about, you know, the volunteering, you know, what they right. got out of it. Yeah, I mean, we are in the time where we have a lot of here, we can only kind of gloss over this thing in some yeah, ways. But the, sure. the idea is it really gets, if you want to just sum it all up, it kind of goes down to is what's leadership intention? How does that message get conveyed? What is, and, you know, is it healthy to begin with before it's conveyed? And then how do they convey that with sincerity and authenticity? Mm -hmm. How do they get that communication done so that's properly received? How do the people who receive it um, acknowledge it and buy into it? If they don't, is the message broken? Is the vision yeah. broken? Yeah. If they do buy it, if they don't buy in, did they, was it not communicated thoroughly? If mm -hmm. they still don't buy in, is it because they can't fit? You know, there's a lot of the, in the equation here that's, that's going to be figured out. <clears throat> but ultimately, um, there is no um, single magic pill for making this mm -hmm. happen other than making sure that it, the the intention of everybody showing up is to serve right right it's time for rapid fire oh my so, gosh so i'm just gonna uh, give you a, a word or phrase that i've captured and just you know just a real quick recap as to what your thoughts are so social conscience oh you're asking me Real a quick, rapid answer. Real, real quick, not the, uh, you know, across social the Social conscience, social conscience is essential. Essential, accurate. Birth and their babies. What is your best story of one of the times where you birth a baby here? You know, one of your projects, one of your companies. At a time when Wall Street was completely a mess and everything like that, I started a computer consulting company. <laughs> this is many many couple few decades ago now wall street was in deep trouble people were being laid off on wall street left and right and uh and i birthed that baby during that crisis that's taken risk out the window yep and i, I ran it successfully before i merged it with another company and then i left awesome so. the importance of being a servant leader uh there is no other way yeah. So how do you pivot if you're not a win-win-win situation? Uh, take stock that you're willing to do it. Believe that it needs to be done. 
if you're <clears throat> unsure how to do it yourself, get the resources who can show you the way and then commit, take massive action. Well, that was my next one. How important is it to just take action and be persistent? Well, action by itself may not be enough because you mm -hmm. might have to have, there has to be commitment with that action mm -hmm. and there has to be the proper decision to feed that mm -hmm. commitment and action. But, um, <clears throat> but action is, as, is, once whatever the decision and commitments are, action is, is the deliverable. So it's, uh, it's the way to get it done. Awesome. Well, I know that we could talk for hours and hours um, on this subject and many others, but I think it's time for us to have you just share, how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn how to do the effective way or learn how to do business at the speed of heart? What's your website? <clears throat> well, uh, theeffectiveway.com. Um, but um, I would actually encourage people to go ahead and go to Brian K. Baird, my middle initial K. Um, and I'll just say dot now dot site, although I will eventually take a domain that I've just not properly used to get it to point to all that. And uh, and just let's there's multiple ways to connect with me there. I, Telegram, WhatsApp, Facebook. Oh, yeah, email, Telegram. I just started phone that. number. Yeah. So. so so great to have some time with you today to talk about uh, a subject that I believe so much in that, you know, we have to have leaders that are leading with heart. And I love the win, win, win piece. It's a hard thing to do sometimes, but you know, worth every minute when you get it right. 100% true. Yep. So uh, as I always end, life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.